Welcome to the Top 5 Podcast with your hosts, Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams. So today I would like to welcome Julie Garland McClellan. Julie is a boardroom expert and she tells me she's been doing this for around 23 years. Welcome, Julie. Lovely to be here. So, Julie, uh, we're talking about the top five tips for being a valuable board member. Uh, We're going to start off number one you've given us is align everything to your company's core purpose. Talk to that for us. Help us understand what do you mean there? I think one of the most important things that boards do is they say no to stuff that doesn't fit and yes to stuff that does. And it's really important when you're on the board to try to help management to understand what are the things that are a good idea and what are the things that aren't. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to have a very deep conversation with your new managers about, well, what's the actual purpose of this company? Why was it created? What is it here to do? When it's done this, what will come next or or what will tell us that we've been successful? And those sorts of very long-term, big-picture conversations actually cut out so much work when you're doing strategy making, when you're deciding whether or not to respond to a tender. They, they They seem like a waste of time, but actually they save time and the time they save comes back in dividends. It's um, really well worth going through and saying, why was this company created? And every company has a purpose if you investigate it carefully enough. Does that make sense for you? Oh, absolutely. And and I, you, you mentioned something in there that ties in beautifully with your second tip for being a great uh, board member. And that is to get informed about your executive leadership. Now, I want to just ask a question related to your previous point where you said, go and talk to the management, you know, in detailed conversations about about why they're proposing something before you say no or yes. Okay. Um, So so explain getting informed about your executive leadership team, because, you know, personally, I've seen a lot of board members who go, Oh no, our job as independent board members is not to get involved with the management, just to, to do everything through the managing director. So obviously you have a different view. Please give me that that background. No, I, I have um, the same view, but different nuances. So as a board, you are part, or as a board member, you're part of a team, and that team has one person reporting to it which if it's a director is the managing director, if it's an executive is the CEO. And when somebody says they're the CEO and managing director, it's a tautology. Um, However, we're not here for grammatical correctness. We're here for practical good tips. Um, So the important thing is, though, that just because you delegate through the CEO, that doesn't mean you've abdicated all responsibility. So as a good director, you really should know who are the CEO's direct reports, what are they responsible for, how will you know if they're doing a good job or a bad job, how can you better support the CEO in motivating and monitoring them. Um, At some stage every year, you should sit down with the CEO and talk through the CEO's recommendations 
for bonuses, training, promotions, and other arrangements around those team members. So it's absolutely essential that you know who these people are, you know how their success is going to be measured, and you know how well they're doing in achieving that success. But that's completely separate from getting involved in managing those people, which is very much the job of the CEO or the managing director. But they can't do that job, or they can do that job without your support, but they can't do it as well as they would if they had your support. There's always that dilemma, isn't there, between uh, the board member wanting to get operational rather than being strategic. I think that's always one of the challenges. Would you agree? It is. Um, And again, because as a board member, you're responsible and you can be personally liable, even when you're not personally culpable for anything that happens in the company, it is a good idea to know what's going on in the operations. But there's a difference between monitoring and supervising the operations and actually getting involved in operational decision-making. So it's really very much, again, around having those conversations and saying, well, what are the things that we as a board have reserved just for us? What are the things that we've clearly delegated to the CEO for onward delegation to the management team? And where are the areas such as strategy development and stakeholder liaison where we're working together as a team and in partnership? Um, But at no point can you abdicate the responsibility for what the company does. You can only delegate it and you're responsible for the actions of your delegates. Can I, before we get on to the third point, I just want to ask you another question in in this because it's a big area where a lot of boards, I think, go wrong. But a lot of boards, when I look at the composition, they have amazing experience, and that's what you want. You want diversity. You want all that amazing experience. Should the board members make themselves available if the C-suite want to consult with them on their area of expertise, or should it all still be funneled through the the CEO, managing director? I work on the theory that you should make yourself available. You're there to help and you damn well should. However, having a conversation with one of the CEO's direct reports and the CEO not knowing that it's taking place is not just bad governance, it's plain rude. So it's always a good idea to ensure that when you're having these conversations, people understand, I'm a civil engineer, if there are young engineers in the organisation, and particularly when they've just come into those leadership roles and they're feeling their leadership way, I love to help them. But I make sure that the chair of the board and the CEO of the company understand that I am having these conversations on these topics with these people, but they are nothing to do with giving orders or instructions. They are absolutely nothing to do with the operational chain of command. And so it's really important as well when you have these conversations that the board acts as a board. You come together and you make decisions together. You are not a panel where you have a pantheon of experts and management go to the relevant expert with queries in each individual thing. 
you have to, even if it's not your area, so if I'm on a board with somebody who's an expert in financial reporting, I still have to understand our annual reports. I still have to be personally comfortable that they meet the standards for annual reports, that things are clear and things are correct and things are well expressed. I can rely on that expert only to the extent in which I've made my own diligent, specific and independent inquiries into that matter. So these are things that the board should discuss and all directors should be comfortable with. So when you have what we call a back channel conversation, you just have to make sure that that never usurps a decision that the board should be making. It's always a conversation to help the executive who will then come back to the board at the appropriate time for the appropriate decisions. Okay, so I think this leads us nicely into number three. And the point that you've raised here, top tip number three, is see the company through the eyes of your stakeholders. So expand on that for us. Um, yes, there's an awful lot being said at the moment because of um, Mr. Fink and BlackRock about stakeholder capitalism. But I'm not talking about running the organisation for the benefit of any one group of stakeholders. Um, that includes the shareholders. They're an important stakeholder group, but they are one of many. As a director, you owe your duty to the company itself. But to discharge that duty, you need to understand the different groups. And so particularly, I would be very impatient for example, with the recently appointed chair of a large supermarket chain who, when asked about the price of, I think it was lentils they asked him the price of, said, oh, I never go shopping. In fact, probably the only times I've been in a supermarket in the last couple of years, and I've only been into one two or three times. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous because your customers are a key stakeholder group. If you don't know what your supermarkets are like from a customer perspective, how on earth can you make good strategic decisions about how to serve the customers and what to do? So if you look at another chair of a was out with his board and they tour a supermarket, individual directors make sure that they shop at certain supermarkets, not to get messed up or to give people orders, but just to see what it's like being a customer. And they're also probably picking up a fair amount of information about what it's like being an employee down at the front line. Um, you need to understand your shareholders. Some of the bigger boards have completely, in my opinion, abdicated this responsibility either to the investor relations department or to external consulting firms, which is even more dangerous. The shareholders elect the directors to govern the company on their behalf. So it's really important you understand what they've been promised, whether you're going to meet those promises, and what they really want and expect. And the only way you can do that is by talking with them. So boards that never meet their shareholders or only meet them once a year at the annual general meeting, I find really quite worrisome. <laughs> um, and David Gonski once said, we, we talk about stakeholder shareholder engagement and then we only have AGMs. 
And an AGM is not like an engagement. It's more like a drunken one-night stand with a room full of strangers. <laughs> now, I don't know how Mr. Gonski knows what that feels like, but having been to a few AGMs, I do know that they are not like an engagement. There's no two-way conversation in any great depth, and there's no real understanding. So something else has to be added. The bare minimum's not enough. Really think through, what's it like to be employed by this company? What's it like to be a supplier? What's it like to be a customer? What's it like to be a union? What's it like to be a regulator? You need to know. Otherwise, you're really hamstrung when it comes to making strategic decisions. That's a fantastic. I mean, there was that show on TV, you know, the undercover CEO, and obviously it's a little bit framed into finding the the real heartthrob, you know, heartbreak stories. But but nevertheless, it is the concept that they promoted in Japan, you know, thirty years ago, called you know management by walking around, you know, but just by by being visible. So so that brings me on to how the businesses have transformed. So your fourth point is to stop talking about digital transformation and making it and concentrate on making digital progress. Now, now that's a, a, a great take on digital transformation, but I'd love to understand it a bit more. I think a lot of directors are my generation and we are not the digital natives we are generally slightly older than the digital natives. So even though we might be digitally fluent, when we talk about digital transformation, when we talk about using the power of the internet to grow and, and supercharge our businesses, we are talking a foreign language. And a lot of boards are so wary of making the wrong decisions and doing and saying the wrong things that they've been talking and talking and talking and they're talking about digital transformation and they do these huge four-year technology projects. And when you say to them, well, what's going to be different for the customer as a result of that project? Oh, well, all of our back office is going to be online. And... How much money are you going to save from that? Oh, I don't know. It's costing us a fortune. So why are you doing it? If you don't know that it's going to improve customer service and you don't know that it's going to reduce costs, is it going to make life better for your staff? Um, and then you talk to people like Telstra who are talking about making redundant thousands of people because they don't have the digital skills that Telstra wants in the future. Now, if Telstra doesn't have them, goodness only knows who else does um, because Telstra is a digital company. So when you start talking about this stuff, you can see a lot of boards talking and doing and investing, but they're not really making progress in helping the company do the things it was founded to do. And when you, again, it's when you take that digital transformation conversation and you say, no, what's the purpose of this company? What was it set up to do? How does this digital project move us towards that purpose? What does it help us to do better? What does it help us to do more of? What does it help us to do for more people? And that's when you start making progress. And it might not be huge projects. It might only be little things that change, but you're making progress. 
and you're making progress strategically towards your purpose, not following the latest fads and making the consulting firms wealthier than they already are. Okay, so top tip number five, train your board. This sounds straightforward, but I know it's not always that simple. Help us understand. Yeah, um, training a group of people who are diverse is not easy. Training them in one thing and not another thing, training them in something that one of them knows backwards, forwards and sideways and that to the others is rocket science, um, again, difficult. So training your board, I always say that if you are a director, you should always be learning. And I joke that when I've stopped learning, they can nail the lid on and send me into the flames because it'll be time. <laughs> but getting yourself into that mode of saying, right, what does this board need? How can I help my directors to keep learning things that are relevant to this company that are also relevant to them? People talk a lot about board succession. And when you scratch the surface of board succession planning, it's we're going to bring you in, we're going to use everything you've got, and then when we've had it, we're going to chuck you out. And that's not really nice. And it certainly doesn't inspire me to go and join those boards. So I always talk, instead of a succession plan, of a board development plan or a board progression plan, which is where when you bring on a new director, you say, look, we love these skills that you have. This is how we think they will help us to make better decisions. We think you're probably going to be with us for three years or six years or possibly even longer. Where do you see yourself going? Where's your next board after this one? What do you need to learn to be attractive to that board? Who do you need to meet? What projects and people within our organisation do you need to get to know about so that you can continue to add value to yourself as a director and continue to progress in your personal purpose as well as helping this board progress towards the company's purpose? And this is where you start then having individual development things for certain directors, you might have one director that you particularly want to speak at a conference for you. You might have another director that you send to Silicon Valley to learn about something there. You might have a director who's actually absolute whiz kid at their technology, but you send them off to go and do Governance 101 and the company director's course. And then you might have, for example, somebody come in and talk about AI analytics or data governance for the whole board. So there are things that you do as a board, there are things that you do as individuals. But if you are not training your board, your board is getting out of date every single day. And as a company, if you are being led by people who are out of date, the writing's on the wall and it isn't saying anything very nice. So yeah, I'm a great believer in training your board, not to crack the whip over them and make them work harder, but to help them, to help themselves and to serve the company. Julie, that's actually a great segue because part of the Top 5 podcast is to help our listeners 
help themselves and improve themselves. And so just to, to, you know, we've had a great conversation about a number of points, and I just want to summarize them, which are your top five tips for being a valuable board member. And the first one was to align everything to your company's core purpose. The second was to get informed about your executive leadership team. The third was to see the company through the eyes of your stakeholders. The fourth was to stop talking about digital transformation and concentrate on digital progress, on making digital progress. And the fifth was to train your board. So thank you, Julie, for sharing your extensive knowledge and wisdom with us on the Top 5 podcast. So, Julie, should our listeners want to get in touch with you and maybe, uh, you know, refer you to their board for some uh, additional assistance, how would, they, how would they find you, get in touch with you? Probably the easiest way to find me is to click the link below the podcast, but I am the only Julie Garland McClellan on LinkedIn My website is directorsdilemma.com, which is the name of my free monthly newsletter, which they are very welcome to subscribe to, which again gives practical ideas for things that crop up in boardrooms and boards need to learn how to deal with. Thank you very much, Julie. And thank you to my co-host, Lindsay Adams. This is Railbricker signing off for this edition of the Top 5 Podcast.